0: Revelation 1, verses 10 through verse 19. Are you ready? Mm. i ask again. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. I want to ask you a question. When you come before God to worship him, when you come to pray, what picture of Jesus comes to your mind? We have an imagination, and God can use our imagination, and while we do not believe in literally trying to represent Jesus, how can you represent spirit How can you have images of God and somehow bow down to them? That's why there is no statue of Jesus here in this church. But nevertheless, in our mind's eye, we have some kind of concept, some kind of impression. And and, um, I'm sure that if the Holy Spirit leads you and you, you begin to see Jesus in lots of different ways in your mind's eye, I'm sure that's good. But above all... We should have a vision of Jesus that corresponds to who he actually is now. Risen, ascended, glorified, ruling and reigning in power, in majesty and glory. That will determine very much how we pray. And when we realize that this same Jesus, the one who appears like this in all his glory, is the one... Who has saved us and redeemed us and brought us to himself in love, as it says in Revelation chapter 1. Let's read that verse 5, then to verse 5 and verse 6, Revelation 1. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we know that he is that God who loves us and has broken down the barriers between our sinfulness and his holiness and his love has conquered everything and brought us into his kingdom and given us such amazing status as kings and priests to God, when, when we know him, in both these aspects, the one who loves us and saves us and desires intimacy with us, but also the one who is holy and righteous and pure and glorified, then we will pray differently. We won't come to God just with a shopping list, nor will we come to worship him as an action. We will pray and seek his face in relationship And we will understand that worship is not so much just an activity, it's a relationship that we develop. When we see him like this, the divine, crucified, resurrected, glorified Lord. (laughs) I'm very happy uh, that when we see John's reaction, it tells me a whole lot about what it's like to be close to Jesus. He has this vision, this revelation, and he falls down at Jesus' feet as though dead, I'm pretty sure, he thought he he was. I'm done, I'm gone, I'm out of here. And I kind of think of it like this, not just as something fearful and awesome, I think of something delightful. I reckon if Jesus came today and just showed himself on this platform, I for one would leap straight out of my body saying, I'm coming home, Lord. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that. No offense to you people, but I'd rather be with Jesus. No offense to my wife or my life or my circumstances or anything else that is on this earth that I love. I love Jesus more. And I'm waiting for that day when my body and my spirit will part company, at least temporarily, uh, and I will be with Jesus. says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we know that in resurrection, our body will be glorified and and we will be together in our bodies with Jesus, with a body like his glorious body. I'm so glad that it didn't end there because we wouldn't have the rest of the book of Revelation. Jesus said, listen, uh, you and your body have got to stay together for a little bit longer because I've got a plan for you. I want you to hear some stuff. Some big stuff. I'm going to tell you about what's going to happen in the end times, the last and the last of the last days, and and I'm going to give you a, a, a preview of the final chapter. This reminds me that God is working everything to a great and glorious conclusion. There is a purpose. He is the alpha, the source of all things. He is the omega, the purpose of all things, and every letter of the alphabet in between. It's all about Jesus. And he's working out this plan, and, and this plan involves us. He saved us, brought us into his kingdom, given us a great purpose and a destiny. And, and, and John is falling down in worship. And I'm going to just draw a few things out of this. I'm certainly not going to go on to the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, I, I, I understood it once. Well, maybe I understood it three times uh, in, uh, in my life, and, and I don't want to put you off it, but I tell you, the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more and more, more and more the book of Revelation is going to mean stuff to us because it's really sending out signals and a map of how we are going to be and the glory that is to come and the persecution that is going to come and the difficulties we're going to go through and, and yet the glory that's going to be revealed in the church and it's going to get very, very exciting. That's why we are emphasizing the need for you and me to go deeper in our relationship with God. Because the closer we get to Christ and the closer we get to the consummation of all things, the more we'll realize it was all about him all along. And all the distractions, all the idolatries of this world and still cling to us, they were absolute waste of time. And so we got to come before God knowing who he is. And and today I want to worship on this, this fact that he is the living God. He is the living God. Jesus says, behold... I am alive, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. He is the living God. And when we see Christ, we see this wonderful revelation of who God is. And there's so much in it. Now we're going to go into a bit of some deep stuff today because sometimes we're too lazy in our thinking. When we start thinking about what does it mean for God to become man, we say, oh, it's a mystery, which is an excuse for not really meditating on this and reflecting on this. We start talking about God being Trinity. The one God is also three persons. We say, oh, that's very complicated. And and many preachers do a bad job at this. They say, oh, it's so complicated, it's impossible to understand. God's revelation is meant to be taken. We're meant to understand it. He's given us this revelation, and the doctrine of the Trinity is the, is the foundation stone of all Christian revelation. It's absolutely unique, and it is beat to Christianity. No other religion will ever come near to this, and it's crucial. Do you know that if God was not Trinity, there would be no revelation? Did you know that? If, there were, if God was not Trinity, there would be no salvation. We'd still be dead in our sins. If there, if, if there was no trinity, there could be no relationship with God. It's so important. And we've got to dig into this a little bit today. Don't forget, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you I emphasized mind? Hmm. Charismatic Christians must be thinking Christians. You don't kiss your brains goodbye when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit though with some people. No, no, okay, all right. Let's, uh, let's stick to the plot. All right. I want you to notice in this passage we have a revelation of who Jesus is and we see two very clear things. Jesus is God. But also he's God manifested in the flesh. So he is fully God as though he were never man and he's fully man as though he were never God. But he is both God and man. We know he's God because nobody in their right mind would say these things mean them and for them actually to be true unless he was God. I am. Does that remind you of anything? I am. That reminds us of the name of God. I am. I am what? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who could say that other than God? Well, you could claim it, but we'd put you away. Jesus claimed it because it was true. I am the Alpha. I am the source of all things. I am the purpose and conclusion of all things. I am the beginning. I am the end. This is God speaking. But also we see Him in His humanity. You notice John says, I saw one like the Son of Man. This is Jesus in His glorified body. And we know that this is is amazing. I'm happy to use the word mystery. In the worship life and tradition of the church, Charles Wesley, still today in my mind, stands head and shoulders above everybody else. Charles Wesley, dealing with these things, says, "'Tis mystery all! The immortal dies! Who can explore this strange design?" Now, he's worshipping. He's worshipping in humility, saying, "'God, you are bigger than my tiny mind.'" But I want to grasp this revelation. I want to know who you are. And I think today we are very lazy, and and yet we're being challenged because there are people today who are rising up with very strong Unitarian beliefs, saying that God is the one supreme being, but there's no such thing as Trinity. And we, and, and these are people we meet in the street and in the office. And they know their doctrines better than we know ours. This isn't something we can be lazy about. It is mystery, but there are aspects of this that we can really begin to understand. And until we know what it really means to worship God as Father, Son, and Spirit, we'll never know life in its fullness. Because this life is life that is in God himself, his very being. He is life and the being of God is poured into three persons in a dynamic relationship. The life of the Father is poured into the Son. The life of the Son is poured into the Father. And the Spirit, who is the Spirit of life, is moving between the Father and the Son. God the Father, life. God the Son, life. God the Holy Spirit, life. And He brings us into this life, this living relationship that exists and always existed even before you and I were born. even before there was a planet to be born into or onto, even before the creation of the universe, God existed in all his glory in a relationship of love and life, pouring forth love, pouring forth life, father animating the son, son animating the father, the spirit, the spirit of life flowing, and this is like a wonderful celebration of love and joy and life. When we say we worship the living God, it tells us a whole lot. And, and if it's a doctrinal belief, good, good place to begin. But is it a practical reality? Take you back to maybe your teenage years, I don't know. I, I came to Christ at 18, so it's a bit too soon for me to go through this. But many people grew up in a Christian home and and they said, you've got to go to church. And there's always mama or grandmama pray, praying. And, and by the time you've had several sermons in the church building, you come home. And, and the King James Bible is on the desk. And before you eat, you, you pray. And, and before you pray, you have another Bible study. And, and before the dessert, you have another Bible study. And then <laughs> in the afternoon, you're, you know what it's like. And so kids brought up like this come to, sometimes, don't have to, but come to a place where they say, I'm fed up with all this. Do you know what? I want to go out there and explore some stuff. I want to go and live it up for a while. Ever heard that? I, I want to really live. And in that assumption, the idea is, is that God isn't giving you life. The real good stuff is, is out there. How wrong? When we understand that we worship the living God... There can be no real life without him. That isn't Sunday school stuff. Who gives us life, boys and girls? Jesus. (laughs) Story of a Sunday school teacher teaching around Easter time and had a picture in front of a bunny rabbit. I don't know. Wherever did the... Easter bunny come into this, I have no idea. Now, boys and girls, what is this? This is a picture of what, what is this? Johnny finally puts his hand up and says, well, it looks like a rabbit, but as is a Sunday school, it's probably a picture of Jesus. <laughs> What's the question? Jesus is the answer. Sometimes Jesus is the answer if anybody's asked any questions. And it's true, yes? He really is the answer. But it's one thing to know that and to be able to sing these wonderful songs and kind of to believe it for a while, but every time we turn our back and say, do you know what? There's something better than Jesus out there. There's a better way of doing things. There's a better way of living. We've forgotten who really is life. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its ends are the ways of life of death. So he no real life can be found without him and there is no substitute. Don't don't wait until you're all beaten up, broken down and dead before you discover it. There is life after death, but there is life before death. And his name really is Jesus. If he's the living God, then he is the one true and living God. Try to worship anything else, you've made an idol. And and idols really really can't talk. They can't deliver. They can't do anything. Idols are dead, dumb, motionless, inactive. You might as well go and get a bit of nine-carat gold and put it on a stick and hold it up in your front room and worship it. For all good it will do to worship an idol. Bible says, in God we live and move and have our being. And yet today, when you look out, talk to people, find that there's a lot of confusion about all of this. And I think it's important to understand what what people are saying and what people think so that we can understand them and and draw them into a relationship with, with the living God. Let's do it by way of contrast. Our God is not a dead object. Inanimate, stone, Statue, polytheism, the belief in many, many gods often is linked to idolatry. Now, technically, if, you, if you're going to be nice about this, really, technically, they're not really worshipping that physical thing. They're worshipping an idea, a belief, which they represent in that physical thing. But at the end of the day, practically speaking, there's very little difference. And if you worship a god like that, be careful it doesn't get stolen. There's a story there. My very good friend, Mama Teresa Warimo, in Kenya. I'll be seeing her in a, in a few week, couple of weeks' time. And uh, she told me, told me this story. On the way to where they gather to meet and worship, there is a temple, which is usually full of idols. Now, it's a Hindu temple. I, I want you to understand this. I'm not ridiculing anybody. But I do think it's important for us to see how foolish sometimes we human beings are. Okay? I'm not ridiculing anybody. The story is, having said that, kind of funny. So you're allowed to laugh. (laughs) Anyway, Mama Teresa told me one day there was headlines in the Kenyan daily newspaper. God's stolen from temple. And on Sunday morning she said, you know, Pastor Colin, I preached a sermon. I said, what was that? I preached on the God who cannot be stolen. Yeah. I thank God. Our God is a living God. He cannot be stolen. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be putty in our hands. We bow the knee to the living God. He's not a dead thing. Neither is he some kind of force, some kind of power like electricity. Though for some Pentecostal charismatics, you can, you can wonder sometimes. <laughs> what was that? Power. Now, God manifests himself sometimes very powerfully. And that's to be welcomed. But never confuse the manifestation of power with God himself. If God is merely a power, you can manipulate it like electricity. But God is not an it. He's not some kind of metaphysical power, some non-relational force. He is the true and the living God, the one supreme personal being. When we come to that conclusion, we rule out maybe many, many different belief systems, but a few still remain, who recognize that there is only one God only one true personal supreme being, but he is not Trinity. He's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't stop there. Go deeper and explore. You discover, yes, there is one true personal living God, but that is also a relational being. Because God in his being... Consists in three persons. There's not one God, but three gods, no. There's not one being, but three beings, no. There's not one person who is God, and three persons who are God, no. That's terrible confusion. God in his being is absolutely one. We are monotheists. We believe absolutely in the unity of God. There is only one God. How does the Jewish prayer, the Shema, begin? It starts with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we believe absolutely in one God. Absolute Monotheists—that's who we are. We do—we never compromise our belief in one God because we also believe in three persons. Let me illustrate it to you like this. I do this often; it's the best way I know how. Who shall I—who shall I pick on here? Okay. Everybody's hiding. Sir, would you allow me to use you as an illustration today? The answer is yes, Pastor. (laughs) You stand up. That's fine. Okay. All right, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. Let me know if I go wrong. You are a being. Is that correct? Yes. Good, so far. You are a human being. Let me just check. You are a human being. Okay, good. We're going far. You are also a person. Okay. So you are a human being and you are a person, but you're not two people. No, you are one person. Okay. Okay. All right, now we've established that. Would you give him a round of applause as he takes his seat? Thank you. (laughs) All right, at the human level, did you notice that we can only be one being and one person? We're not one being and two people. We are one person, one being. Only one person per human being. That's how it is at the human level. But at the divine level, he's not limited by such things. He is one being, and that's all he is, one being, yes, but he can be more than one person. And indeed, he is more than one person. One being, God, who is three persons, God the Father, fully God, sharing the same nature and being, With God the Son, fully God, sharing the same nature and being as God the Spirit, fully God. One being, three persons. And because there are three persons, it means one of those persons, the second person in the Trinity could become man without compromising his being. So that's why, as Christians, we celebrate the nature of our God and what who our God is. He is the living God. He is a relational God. He is a God who can act, a God who can move, a God who can come to this planet. Think about this word relationship for a moment. The Bible says God is love. You will never find that statement of any other religious divinity. God is love. Not just that God loves, but God is love. Which means there never was a a moment in history or before creation or ever and ever where God is not love. God is love. Which means he's a relational being. How can God be love unless there's somebody to love? Because if somebody loves, there is a beloved. Amen? So at the very least, we've got to understand that when it says God is love, it means that he loves somebody. Now you say, well, I know that somebody's me. Amen. Yes, and me, and all of us. But what was God like before we were here? Well, our grandparents before them, our great-grandparents before them, what ha- How could God be loved before there was anybody to love? When God was alone, not in the universe, because there was no universe, when all there was was God, He was as much love then as He is now because He always had somebody to love. There's a song there. God wasn't around in the universe saying, somebody, anybody, find me. Somebody to love. Sorry. (laughs) He always was loved because he always was a lover. Which means he always had somebody to love. And he always had the personality to love. From the beginning, even before we were created, before the world was created, God existed in perfect relationship, Trinitarian relationship. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, and the love between them was so strong that the Spirit of love actually was a person, God the Holy Spirit. That's why relationship, relational theology, relational worship, relational prayer is at the very heart of who we are as believers. Our God is a relation a relational God, and he's been having a party that has been going on since ever and ever and ever. That's the celebration of who the Father is, the Father pouring his love and his life and celebrating the Son, the Son pouring his life and love and celebrating the Father and the Holy Spirit just everywhere celebrating everybody. This party in heaven has been going on forever and ever and ever. And God said one day, I want to share this. Let's invite some other people to the party. But there were no other people. So he said, okay, I'll make them. And he created you and me and gave us an invitation There's a relationship that we can have. A relationship of life. A relationship of love. A relationship of joy. A party that's been going on forever and ever. And it will continue forever in heaven. But at the end, there's going to be more people than ever. So God is the living God. Active. Interactive. He's the loving God. Relational God. And because of all of that, he reaches down, not just from heaven, saying, Hi! Can you hear me? Come up, up, up. He came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And said, got it. I'm carrying an invitation. <laughs> it's the party happening in heaven. It begins now. You can get into it now, but you're going to enjoy it in, in a way you can't possibly understand, and you're going to enjoy it forever. But there's a problem. The problem is... you don't qualify yet. Because I'm a holy God... If you were to stand before me, you, you, you just wouldn't make it. Our God is a consuming fire. That's not just his anger, his justice, his wrath. It's his love. His love is so passionate, so full of fire. You can't possibly walk with God in your own strength or in your human brokenness and fallenness and mine as well. But there's a solution. Unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory. Love breaks down the barriers between his holiness and our sinfulness. You know, people don't like talking about sin today, the reason they don't like it is for two reasons in my mind. Number one, they love it too much. So they don't wanna, you know, be exposed. Second reasons they don't have any solution. So we just pretend it doesn't exist. But God is very very clear on it. He says, I want you to recognise this, that without me you can do nothing and you'll be lost forever. But I've I've got a plan. I've set up a rescue plan. You gotta you gotta accept this because I, I'm love. I'm not going to force you. You, You've got to make your choice. You've got to make your choice to to follow me. You've got to make your choice to to, to become the person that I I, I want you to become. You've got to make a choice, but the invitation's open. There's no barrier now. I've broken down every barrier. The the doors are open, but you've got to choose to come in. That's the blood of Jesus. Washes us, makes us presentable from the inside out. We can come and stand before God with no hindrance, no fear, no shame. And and, and what brings us is love, not the kind of fear that we're running away from God and his anger. It's his love that draws us. That's that's how love really wins. Love wins when we surrender of our choice to his love and he accepts us in our God-created dignity the right to say yes or no but we say yes because we see him as the living God the living, loving God who didn't stay in the safety and sanctuary of his own heaven but came into our mess your mess and my mess never have I disagreed with the title of a book more in my life than the book that still current, still in print Harris's book, I'm okay, you're okay no you're not Neither am I. Let's be honest today. You're a mess and I'm a mess. But Jesus gets beneath the mess and changes us and makes us qualified to be saints of God in the kingdom of heaven. He qualifies us to be part of that party. He gives us all the clothing that we need, all the disposition that we need, and that's what worship is really all about. Uh, Please come on to the platform, thank you. That's what it's all about. That's what it means to go deeper with God. God. To recognize that there is a depth about him, a complexity about him that is, it is higher than we could possibly reach, deeper than we could possibly fathom, but Christ brings him close. And we worship him as the living God, drawn into this relationship, knowing that we come to the Father in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship him as the Holy One, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We can't fathom him, fathom him. We can't work him out, but we can receive his revelation, we can respond to his invitation. Jesus, we worship you. We come to the Father in your name. We thank you for the energy of the Spirit who carries us into the wonderful presence Jesus. We're so grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit who spotlights the face of Jesus so we can come and stand before him even though he is this wonderful divine God man in all his glory. Do you not feel that attractional pull of his living personality? We're going to worship God some more before we're done today. But I want you to understand it's not just an action or an activity. It's a relationship. He wants to draw you closer and closer to him invites you today to take that next step closer to Him. Maybe, maybe you've never ever put your faith and trust in Christ ever and you've no idea about this. The invitation to you is to receive Christ as your Savior. If it's not that, if, if you really know Him in a way, it's the invitation of God to say, come closer. I, I, I'm drawing closer to you. I invite you to the depths of my heart of love and of life Maybe today you're struggling and saying, you know what, I, I really relate to one thing you've said, Colin, that's that's good stuff is found outside. In the pleasures, sensual pleasures, and doing things my way. That's, that's what gives me the greatest satisfaction. Today you say, I I, I want to resign from being the governor of my life. I want Christ truly to be my Lord as well as my Savior. Whatever it is, in these next few moments of worship, the team is going to lead us. I want you to enter in fully, deeper than you've ever gone before. We had great worship earlier, but I I want to say, we can go deeper with God. It's an invitation. It's relationship. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to develop intimacy with you so that He can pour more of His life and his love and he can be more active and share the fellowship that exists between Father, Son and Spirit with you for this is life eternal that we may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent and that life has appeared and we have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with one another in and through the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit.